0: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Daniel A. Heller, PhD. Uh, he's at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Uh, he's looking at biomaterials and nanoscale engineering for molecular sensors and targeted therapeutics uh, to address cancer. So, Daniel, thanks for coming. Great to be here. Thanks a lot, Richard. Yeah, in, in your own words, what uh, what are your current projects? What are you working on?
2: So, I uh, my my lab is uh, developing nanomaterials uh, for the uh, treatment and uh, detection of cancer and, and other diseases, and also as uh, to make research tools to try to. To probe biological systems.
1: So, is it to detect cancer as early as possible, or is it to uh, characterize it once it's in somebody, or what stage?
2: Yeah, we we have a project where a couple projects where we're uh, working to de- make sensors that detect cancer at, at the earliest stages uh, to try to detect, um, for instance, uh, ovarian cancer, which is uh, a type of cancer that often uh, is detected at later stages when it's hard to treat. So we're making uh, imp- actually implantable uh, sensors, uh, devices to, um, uh, to, to monitor um, ovarian cancer for early to stage detection and also uh, risk of recurrence, uh, people who have risk factors like BRCA mutations.
1: What, what does the sensor look at? Like where would it be implanted and what is it characterizing?
2: We, uh, we found that um, the, the current biomarkers and known biomarkers for ovarian cancer are b- these blood biomarkers. And they could potentially be good uh, uh, monitors, except that in the blood, they, they don't appear uh, at high enough levels above baseline uh, to be able to uh, detect them until uh, the later stages. So we realized that the, the biology of this cancer is such that these markers uh, seem to appear at higher levels in the, for instance, in the fallopian tube, the uterine cavity, the uterus at higher levels earlier then, uh, then when they appear in the blood, Just kind of the way the body that the the, uh, the body's, uh, these cancer cells are are connected to the blood. They um, so we think that we could access these markers uh, at earlier stages and, get, and detect the cancer uh, if we could monitor these markers in these locations.
1: Why don't people try to characterize lymph? Uh, it seems like, unfortunately, that's an early place that a lot of cancers go, regardless of the cancer.
2: Yeah, there, there's definitely uh, thoughts of, of how to do that, how to monitor lymph. The, one of the issues is that um, it's uh, monitoring lymph and maybe the right the right part of the body in and, and lymph glands might be uh, difficult to really know where to look and, and when. Yeah, the issue is always that, um, that, that for screening, um, you don't know... Uh, kind of who to who who to select to really kind of look at uh, uh, to, to to try to monitor and if you have a, a type of um, method that's that's maybe more invasive or or expensive involves imaging and um, or 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 taking fluid from somewhere the question is how to how to pair this this the, all the people in the world down to uh, a manageable number where you can screen or or, or monitor and so. We're, we're making a sensor to try to implant uh, into patients that either that have a, a, a major risk factor, where we think that um, if we can monitor uh, markers in the place where we think they're going to appear, uh, we'll be able to um, ha- uh, you benefit from the fact that we know that kind of locally in, in, the, in the uterus, and uh, fallopian tubes they'll, they'll be W- higher levels of these markers potentially early stages, earlier stages of, of uh, disease. Um, but is anyone why um, in lymph nodes one l- wouldn't want to maybe put a marker, put a sensor there one day?
1: Yeah, if there's a biopsy and it's discovered. I mean, it seems like maybe one of the best ways or a good way is to get to uh, since a lot of lymph nodes get taken out as part of resections. I mean, knowing that maybe putting a sensor attached to one or more of them that are probably going to be taken out anyway or possibly. It might be a good monitoring point.
2: Yeah, no, that would be uh, um, that would be a really cool uh, way to, uh, way to go. With Certainly with cancers that appear in lymph nodes at, at pretty early stages or at, at uh, in the time course of their uh, progression, that would be a great uh, uh, a great direction. And I guess I I, I mentioned ovarian cancer because that's what kind of is going on right now in my lab. But the the direction we're headed is really the thought of of monitoring, and you have in um, and many patients or many many people are thinking about um, about wearable devices, for instance, uh, Apple watches and, uh, and Fitbits, where you're shooting light at the body constantly and you're getting a measurement of something. Right now, you're measuring uh, your pulse, and uh, and that's um, important for fitness. and And we thought, well, is there a way to interface the these wearable devices with something? Uh, that's in the body, like a, a biomarker, a protein, um, a, uh, a, a metabolite. Is there a way to get measurements from of these types of molecules that may be better markers for disease um, using uh, a device like a like a wearable device or or something that can just shoot light at the body? And because if you ever look at the Apple Watch, you look at the bottom if you're wearing one, you see this light uh, shooting at your skin. We wondered, you know, can we use that light? to um, To compare with us something in the body to then get a signal back out of the body for um, to, to measure a disease, and that 's kind of where we 're going with this uh, uh, from a ovarian cancer sensor to kind of can we me- make a sensor that measures almost anything you want but but non invasively where if we could just um, get something maybe in the body that could be nano scale nat- or very small at least um, to to um, and the idea is that we these, and we are using uh, carbon nanotubes for this, and that they give off an infrared signal, and they can take uh, they can accept uh, or be excited and, and uh, by light that's red or infrared that can pass through the body uh, at least a few millimeters to even centimeters. And so we're trying to make uh, sensors to uh, to to measure these markers. It could be a blood marker, but it could be or or a local marker like I was talking about with the, the ovarian cancer. And then get that uh, signal out of the body, um, and to be able to get a real-time monitor of a
1: uh, of a biomarker. Why not um, try to look at blood, but look at sur- at surface vessels? You know, like I'm looking at my hand, in my wrist, there's some vessels. You know, maybe I'm more vascular, but there's some right at the surface there that I don't know. I guess would be less than a millimeter away. If I wore a watch on my wrist, the light probably would be a maybe could monitor the condition of my blood or maybe on people's thigh, I don't know where, you know, veins are the most prevalent and most near the surface, maybe the ear, but maybe you could return to the blood and monitor it. I know you want to monitor other things too, but maybe you look at the same thing, you know, lymph, Where is where are lymph glands located closest to the, the surface of the skin? And then maybe you can get access to different tissue types in the body without having to be invasive.
2: That's, that's exactly right. If we, if, if we can implant something in those locations that kind of stay there, and uh, we don't need this to be kind of a nano robot that, that goes around the body and looks for things. It's some, it's really just a small uh, uh, a device or, or a set of particles that are implanted under the skin, not too deep, maybe millimeters. And it could be in a, in a, in a, in a lymph node. It could be in uh, in, in your know, lymph vessels. It could be near blood vessels with access to, to the, to the serum, to the plasma, to the blood. And, uh, and then if, uh, we can leave that there, and then just continuously or every intermittently shine the light at it. And um, with certain nanomaterials like carbon nanotubes, we can uh, we can shoot light at them. They give off another uh, wavelength of light, even further red or infrared, um, that can pass through uh, millimeters or centimeters of tissue. And that light can we can we can make these sensors such that they change their intensity or wavelength when um, they bind to a, a certain biomarker. And then we can get that, um, and that signal can be sent right to a, a watch or something like that, that exactly can, can monitor, uh, uh, get a real-time monitor of a, uh, uh, of a marker. And certainly this could be useful for glucose, but, uh, but also for things, um, for other, uh, other blood markers, um, blood chemistry, anything that you would really want in any sort of blood test, but even markers like for, for can, uh, cancer biomarkers, potentially even for um, for snippets of, of snort, short snippets of uh, of DNA or RNA. Um, why uh,
1: why why ovarian cancer? Why not pick a blood cancer? Because then it's you know pretty much exactly where it's going to start and, and hang out most of the time. Why this one where it uh, it makes it harder for maybe an obvious device to be made or you know requiring one to be implanted.
2: Right. It, it, for the ovarian cancer uh, sensing, we're, we're really making something that's similar to the size and shape of an IUD. So in this case, it's not completely non-invasive to implant this, but it's a routine procedure. Um, but the reason we started with ovarian cancer kind of goes back to how this, this project got started and, and, and maybe a little bit of, of, uh, of background uh, could be helpful. Um, so I'm, I'm a biomedical engineer and I decided for my faculty career not to go to a biomedical and or engineering department, uh, I, uh, I went to a, to a cancer center. So I'm at uh, Sloan Kettering uh, Cancer Center and also have a position with uh, Cornell, Weill Cornell Medicine, uh, the medical school of, of, of Cornell uh, University. And so my lab is an engineering lab, but surrounded by a, a, a biomedical institution or several biomedical institutions. And I realized that it, it could really make a difference to be an engineer surrounded by biologists and uh, clinicians, because I would be surrounded by. I'm a. I'm a as, a. as an engineer, I'm looking for problems and make trying to make solutions, trying to make technologies to um, to address problems. But the best place I could think of being is is surrounded by problems, and that's what you get by being in a cancer center. And so I, by being there, I started just talking to people. And, and my, when I started my faculty career there in 2012, I started talking and, and I, I ran into a uh, clinician uh, there named uh, Doug Levine, who is a gynecologic oncologist. So an ovarian cancer uh, clinician. And he said, you know what we need, Dan? We need a sensor for ovarian cancer because that's just about the biggest problem in ovarian cancer that we can't detect it early enough uh, to get uh to to be able to treat it well enough to to really uh, cure people of this disease. And I said, you know, this is perfect. This is exactly why I came to a cancer center because I could find someone like you that could um, could could really point me in the direction of a problem. And certainly, it's not the most accessible problem in terms of the the markers potentially. Um, but it, it but we realized that we could really at the earliest stages of our of this project make this technology focused towards um, detecting uh, uh, ovarian cancer, because that's a really
1: uh, important problem. Oh, go Good question here with ovarian cancer. I'm just thinking, do women that have it still cycle? And if so, could you put sensors on a tampon or even a pad? So at least once every three weeks or so, you could have a, uh, you know, for the week of menstruation, but once every three weeks or once every month, at least you can monitor their condition that way without being invasive at all.
2: Yeah, actually, there's been... a trial where um, someone has uh, done something like this. They were actually measuring, um, uh, I think, DNA uh, mutations. So they were taking a, a tampon and they were, they were, uh, they re- they were then taking the, the, um, the material from that and putting it onto a, um, uh, and doing PCR and, and measuring uh, uh, for um, mutations. And so there has been uh, some, a, a little bit of work in this area. Um, I think there needs to be more because people haven't, uh, certainly haven't cracked this egg and part of it is about, um, is about when you detect and part is where you detect and then and, and part is what you detect. And so, um, you know, the sensor that the, the markers that we're measuring now, we're starting with a few and we're trying to ramp it up. Um, but, um, but right now there's been just, there has been a little bit of work in this and that's a really, a really good idea.
1: Well, what's your? Um, I'm just giving you my ideas. What's what's your best idea so far on where the sensor should be? And I think you mentioned kind of like an IUD that would be implanted that way.
2: Yeah. Right now we're thinking that um, an I if if we can implant something like an IU like a that looks like an IUD but doesn't function like one it would it would collect biomarkers and uh and, and the the idea is that if we could get a transient response or transient um, collection of marker if we can put something that dwells there um, then we have the possibility of looking at and then potentially monitoring it multiple times over the course of of a of a time frame that you put in there could be it could be weeks it could be months it could be longer um, that it might be possible to, uh, to uh see these markers at at um higher levels um when they appear there but also um get a kind of a cumulative um measurement. So it's, so even if these markers are at low levels, because this sensor is dwelling there, it might be able to detect, uh, something that, uh, if if you just measure at a early, at like a single time point, uh, you won't be able to kind of get this cumulative, uh, response or cumulative accumulation of of the marker. So we're trying to bank on a few different ideas at the same time. One is having something, this accumulation, one is putting, um, the sensor in a certain location where the markers appear uh, at higher levels. Um, and then the, the question is always exactly when you put, would put this into a person and what um, risk factors are the best risk, risk factors to, to think about. So we're
1: well, a good platform would be for existing IUDs, if you're able to add a small sensor onto them, and then you recruit, uh, if they're willing, a population of women that would be getting them anyway, maybe they get subsidized or something, so you have them because they want them anyway. And then in healthy people, you can monitor and see at least what happens to a device that's used that way, you know, and when it's removed, what kind of things, you know, uh, block up the sensors, et cetera. Maybe that's a great way to inform how your device may perform.
2: Yep, exactly. You know, that's, uh, that, that would be a, uh, being able to get this kind of um, transient measurement, a measurement of uh, multiple data points over time um, is, is a great way to, to try to um, to try to get at an issue where most of the time in the past, people have been, or currently people are looking at a single data point. Um, but if you can really kind of um, uh, interrogate this device, get a have sensor that can get you can more continuous readings. Um, the other thought was that we could, um, uh, if, if we could get, even if the biomarker levels are relatively low, but we just can tell whether they're increasing and look at the rate of change that could be a really nice uh, way to measure mar- uh, markers that might be at lower levels um, than uh, and at low levels. But if for each patient you can monitor kind of the uh, uh, people
1: talk about it as the, the as the biomarker velocity. Is, is there much work being done to look at at least somewhat longitudinally, you know, when someone has cancer, for instance, has their blood been drawn at let's say one month intervals for, two years while they have it. Has this been a major area of study? And if so, what does that show if you do something like that for various types of cancers? You know, have people looked at how the biomarkers for you know, the blood condition trends?
2: Yeah, the, um, there's definitely work out there, especially the one, the work that I hear most often is in, um, prostate cancer. Um, and where people are doing, um, PSA, the, uh, uh is the is the uh, marker that people think about in prostate cancer and it's always a bit difficult because that marker is not the not a perfect biomarker but um there is this psa velocity um issue and, and people are really um using this kind of rate of change of the marker levels uh in prostate cancer for monitoring and prostate cancer is is a different kind of um problem where there's many people who get prostate cancer who really aren't going to progress to a, to an advanced, uh, uh, very aggressive cancer, but a certain percentage, I think around 20% are going to have, uh, uh that conversion from a more of a, uh, a, a, from a, from a cancer where you can really just kind of monitor this thing, but, but not, um, but not really in, intervene to something where you really need to intervene. And so people, uh, calculate, uh, PSA velocity, as one marker of this, it's not perfect, and uh, and definitely there's um, there there, there's, uh, there needs to be more markers or uh, more ways to, to to detect the conversion of a of, of what they call indolent pro- uh, disease to uh, aggressive disease. But um, that this is an active uh, area of research and even um, use in in the clinic.
1: Well, I can tell you, I have, I have no clue if these markers at all have any cycling or response let's say, versus blood glucose, but I've worn like a a Dexcom G6 for a series of months, and I can tell you one data point is crap compared to thousands of data points and looking at trends and cycles and all that stuff. So, I mean, it seems like this would be very important for all kinds of cancers and looking at the markers and characterizing, do they cycle? How do they cycle? What do they do? I know there's confounding factors, but this seems like a whole area that needs to be studied.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. And I think biomarker biomarker development, biomarker uh, – there's, there's many people looking at biomarkers uh, and trying to understand when, when it's best to, to try to measure these and is there something particularly useful. Um, my lab is, is, ha, is so far hasn't really been focused as much on uh, discovery of new biomarkers, but uh, trying to make technologies to allow biomarkers to be measured in new ways like, uh, transiently or, or, you know, real time, uh, measured more often, measured locally, measured in a non-invasive way, like with a Apple watch or Fitbit. But, um, yeah, but, but and I think that with the, uh, these new technologies coming online and more people thinking about, um, you know, the non-invasive ways making non-invasive technologies for, uh, monitoring markers, I, I think there's going to be, um, new, um, uh, important ways to, to measure these markers that are going to potentially make a marker that, that wasn't as useful, more useful, or even um, find new ways to to discover biomarkers um, that maybe not have been good biomarkers in the past.
1: So what's, um I mean, what's your progression from here? Are you, uh, I know there's a lot of ways you could go. What do you think is going to be the most uh, expedited path? What, what will, what will that involve over the next year or two?
2: So from our labs uh, standpoint, um, we're, we're working with our uh, clinical collaborator to um, make a clinical trial for uh, for this uh, IUD like device, but we're really also in the, at at the stage where we have to think about how to take this technology and develop it for, you know, to make it a a more clinical uh, technology because in our lab, we can't really just make something and try it in people. So um, part of it is about, um, I think a lot about the, uh, Aspects of translation of a, of a technology and and how uh, and and how to potentially start a start a small biotech company to try to think about um, this and we have kind of been on the very early stage of that because we would need to raise funds to develop this technology um, but then in, in the lab we're thinking about how can we really interface the body um, with or interface um, uh, really create the best interface between um, a, a marker for cancer or, or any disease, and, um, and, a pay, and and a and a doctor who can who can maybe make uh, decisions. And so, right now we have this kind of IUD technology, um, but the basis of the technology is really uh, this nanosensor that can be put into many form factors, and that's where we're thinking about how we can best move this towards um, uh, uh, towards the development of something that um can be useful for many uh, types of, of diseases, and and thinking about say this this kind of uh, implant under or or interface with a wearable device where something can be non-invasively measured um, um, in real you know, by for for many purposes, and so we're really moving towards this kind of um, fitness tracker type um, paradigm because we think it could be useful for many different uh, markers uh, and not just cancer. Right? And, you know, since we we uh, think about uh, Things like you know, now in these days, we're thinking about COVID, and um, we also are thinking about um, markers that might be early stage um, uh, uh, measurements, or maybe not super early, but measurements that could tell someone whether they're going to get really sick, or uh, an early stage marker of uh, cytokine storm syndrome, um, where the body start really starts really reacting against. Um, uh, or, or, or ramping up with the immune system uh, maybe uh, too much. And so we're trying to think in, in this way as well, can we make a, a, a measurement for, for these kind of things?
1: Yeah. Well, the, you know, the work you're doing is like very innovative but it's excellent. It's very much needed. So that's yeah, wonderful. W- what's the best way for people to keep tabs and find out more about uh, the work you're doing? Where can they go?
2: So we um, are, are uh, I have a Twitter feed, but uh, and also we have a, um, uh, my, my my Twitter handle is, is Heller Lab, and, uh, and but my uh, my lab's website is uh, is at uh, Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and so my, I could just be Googled uh, under Daniel Heller and Sloan Kettering, and it and it will pop
1: up. Okay, well, very good, Daniel. Thank you for coming. It's been a really good call, and I'm glad uh, you, again you're doing this work.
2: Likewise, thank you so much, Richard. Great talking to you.